Hi, this is Roger Green, host of the Surfing the Nest Tsunami podcast. We are offering three conversations from this week's review of the Global Liver Institute's U.S. NASH Action Plan. This conversation is sponsored with a grant from Madrigal Pharmaceuticals. Madrigal Pharmaceuticals is leading the field of NASH therapeutic development with resveratrol, a thyroid receptor beta agonist with potential to address both the liver pathophysiology and fibrosis caused by NASH. In this conversation, GLI Director of Global Policy, Andrew Scott, walks the group through the thinking behind the creation of the Global NASH Plan and the four key issues the plan addresses, after which the panelists begin to discuss the need for improvement in education and awareness. International NASH Day is a day for all of us to recommit to improving treatment of NASH. In the U.S., GLI's NASH Action Plan lights the way, and outside the U.S., advocates can learn what they might want to do from this conversation. So sit back, listen, enjoy learn. And when you're done, join the discussion on our LinkedIn and Facebook discussion groups. Now that the events of International NASH Day are over, join hepatology researcher and key opinion leader Dr. Stephen Harrison, liver wellness advocate Louise Campbell, pricing and forecasting guru Roger Green, and this week's guests, Madrigal Pharmaceuticals co-founder, CMO and president of research and development Becky Taub, Central Virginia VA Health System director of hepatology and key opinion leader Dr. Michael Fuchs, and Global Liver Institute director of policy Andrew Scott, as they discuss GLI's U.S. NASH Action Plan, today on Surfing the NASH Tsunami. I did a little bit of this last year, but just a kind of brief overview of what our thought process was with this U.S. NASH Action Plan. And really, where we saw ourselves as, as Global Liver Institute and the role that we could play. So to sum up what the action plan is, it's a sizable document, but our goal was to make it digestible as well. That really, it is a roadmap for how we think every stakeholder in the health community can address or positively move the needle forward on addressing NASH. And this is something that we felt that there were bits and pieces all over, and many stakeholders in the health community were maybe actively working towards something positive in their respect field or their respective sector, but there was a gap in, in collaboration and communication, and that's where we saw ourselves as kind of coalescers of the of the field, especially within our, our NASH Council. We saw an opportunity that, hey, we can bring everyone together. As Michael mentioned, you know, we can bring together a strong task force to get voices from all different sectors to talk about NASH and to build out these actionable recommendations for the field and develop this roadmap. And as we go forward, our hope is to really go down the list. Of, of each of these recommendations and find ways that we are addressing them and essentially checking them off as, as potential positive steps towards the future. And, you know, to kind of briefly summarize where these recommendations fall, you know, they, they kind of hit the, the main four buckets that we all know are issues in the field of NASH. Lack of awareness and education, lack of agreement on how to diagnose, lack of standardized patient management and treatment for NASH, and then, of course, lack of NASH-specific policy initiatives leading to poor health systems and preparedness. So those kind of four main buckets are where we branched out and created a, a variety of recommendations for really every stakeholder 
in the health community, from patients and even for ourselves, patient advocacy organizations, to medical societies, regulators, policymakers, health systems at large, payers, really trying to hit every stakeholder and provide that roadmap, uh, those recommendations that they can follow. And and I should briefly mention is that we've already seen some, some positive success with this just by showing this to Capitol Hill and other places. I mean, that is many times the first question you get from legislators is, well, what, what do you want us to do? You know, what is your recommendation for us? And if you have something that provides that roadmap, it's a great building block to go forward on. And of course, we, we understand that this isn't the end-all, be-all in action plans, but it is the stepping stone that will hopefully lead to a lot of positive movement. Andrew, that's a great insight. And I don't know if this is the place we were going to start, but you mentioned it, so let's start here. I know you shared with legislators on Capitol Hill, and so far that's produced some results, I guess, of mention. You want to talk about that a little bit, and then we'll go item by item through four planks? Yeah, yeah. No, I'm happy to do a, a deeper dive on this later as well, but you know, it's very exciting that we have started really developing champion for NASH on Capitol Hill, and kind of providing these recommendations, have laid that foundation that has led to what we're hopeful to see in the very near future, the reintroduction of the NASH CARE Act. Uh, this is a piece of legislation that was introduced late last congressional term, late last year. And we have these champions, these two members of Congress in the House, Congressman Dan Cranshaw from Texas and Congressman Raul Ruiz from California, who are very excited about addressing NASH. And they are excited to reintroduce this piece of legislation in the very near future. We hope to see that soon. We're kind of working through the process now with legislative counsel, but in the very near future, we should hopefully have an introduced bill. And this bill will focus on some of the earlier pieces for addressing NASH. Not going to hit everything. When we were having conversations with some of the other stakeholders in the community and, and having conversations with Capitol Hill, we we're thinking of what would lead to the best chance of this bill hopefully moving forward. And that's where we thought, okay, let's focus on the beginning to start, and then we'll branch out from that later on. And that is giving CDC, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the tools to accurately survey NASH and develop the scope and create an accurate picture of NASH. Also, building out prevention and awareness grant opportunities. And then, of course, building an actual recommendation for where the federal government should go forward by having an interagency, interdivision, cross-sector task force focused on NASH and ensuring that throughout that are strong recommendations on prevention and awareness, how to treat and manage NASH, and of course, how to diagnose it utilizing non-invasive diagnostics. So very much touching on a lot of those buckets that we mentioned in the action plan. But again, this will be a stepping stone as well, like so many of these other recommendations. But it's exciting to see some movement on Capitol Hill that will hopefully lead to plenty more opportunities in the future. Roger, can I interject and ask one question towards Andrew? I think it's great to have two members of Congress you know, being NASH champions. But I think it would be even better if every state would have a champion. Is that something the Global Liver Institute you know, is working towards? And, and how feasible is that? Yes. So, Michael, I'm glad you bring that up. And I feel like there's a lot of pieces to this that we're excited to kind of be moving forward kind of in tandem. But we recently announced the expansion of a new program or a newer program at Global Liver Institute called the Liver Action Network. And this essentially is an advocacy network that's all across the United States now. 39 states are represented. And then we also recently saw multiple more local organizations, liver advocacy organizations, join the Liver Action Network as well, including the Liver Coalition of San Diego, the Mid-South Liver Alliance, the Liver Wellness Foundation, and then also the Texas Liver Foundation. Uh, obviously, we hope to see more organizations at the local level join as well. But again, this will get to your point. Uh, this is, of course, a starting point with having these 
two members of Congress. They are part of the most valuable committee from our perspective on this bill, specifically in the House of Representatives, which is the Health Subcommittee of the Energy and Commerce Committee. So having both of them kind of gives us a leg up. But as well, you know, I couldn't agree more that our hope is to utilize this newly expanded liver action network to build more support, especially after the bill is reintroduced and hopefully lead to it moving quickly. Okay, Michael, thanks for the question. Andrew, thanks for the answer. If anyone else has questions, great. If not, I'd love for you to go ahead and talk a little bit about the specific initiatives and issues that you folks have identified around awareness and education and how different stakeholders can help. Sure. So when we go through the individual kind of bucket, we really try to think what are the biggest values that each respective stakeholder could bring? When we're thinking of education, diagnosis, patient management and treatment, and policy efforts, each stakeholder has values and roles that they can play in addressing these issues. I I won't list all of them out, but looking specifically at, for example, medical societies, and we think of amazing work that we see from the American Association for the Study of Liver Disease and the American Gastroenterological Association and more, what can they do to move the field forward in education, as an example? And thinking, well, we need to get more education for primary care providers. So we need to get more education, potentially, of other specialties. We're thinking of national holistically. So again, when we look in at each of these four buckets, we are trying to pick out what specific things can they do. And in that case, continuing medical education, opportunities like that, collaboration collaboration with patient advocacy organizations on those CMEs, things like that can be opportunities for medical societies to educate other specialties, to educate other providers, and also educate patients as needed as well, but also collaborate with patient advocacy organizations. So that's just an example. We're starting seeing some success on those already, but going through each of those, what value can every stakeholder bring? So let me ask the panel, on that kind of issue, where do you believe your organizations or your efforts have the ability to bring value? I can actually start, which is to say that one of the things that we've been looking at, and I'm not sure exactly how we're going to handle yet, is when we go back and look at this prevalence study that Stephen had done with two of them, 11 and 21, that we were talking about the other week, you start to understand even more than you might have previously the interaction or interconnection between diabetes and NASH. So one of the things that we've started casting around for are ways that we can use this podcast or other audio programming to create a foundation to talk about that issue a lot more extensively and to focus on it a lot more directly, because clearly that's one area where education and awareness can benefit with endocrinologists, with patients, with advocates, with everybody. So I don't know what that means yet. We're just at the beginning stages, but that's one that became obvious to us. Other thoughts, other comments? I'll jump in a little bit here. It's very exciting and I think it's a a great action plan. Obviously, it's specific to NASH. But I've said on the podcast before, I think education is absolutely vital. Education personally has to start a lot earlier. A large role can be played in education in schools, that people are built differently, to understand that people come in different sizes, to get an understanding that you can actually be larger but fit. I think there's this misconception that just because people are overweight and obese, that they're not necessarily fit. So, We look at an individual in a certain way and we do have to change our narrative to look at that more holistically and not just 
say one size fits all. So I think that understanding has to start with schools. Children grow up understanding better that other children could be larger. There's the potential to lose that stick to accept people as individuals. That's really important when we look at Lean Nash, because everybody assumes that somebody's slim, that they can't have a problem. Everybody assumes the opposite if you're larger. And we've said the other week that every person is a potential Nash patient, a NAFLD, and every NAFLD patient doesn't look like everyone else. It is absolutely vital that we get education out there from all different walks of life and it can be done at every level and that leads to better education and understanding in medical professionals and associated healthcare personally. Yeah this is Stephen. Let me jump in here as well. I think education awareness is absolutely vital. To me I think of it as a three-legged stool. Who's who's responsible for that education and awareness and who's delivering the educational content to be described relative to this disease state. So to me, I I see patient advocacy groups as one leg. I see biotech and pharmaceutical companies as another leg. And I see our societies like AASLD and the European Association for the Study of Liver as really the predominant other leg. Now, there's nuances to all that, but I think simplistically that that gets us a lot of traction if we're able to harmonize those three different legs. What holds them all together between the legs, I think, are the, the academic folks, the folks that are driving the understanding of this disease throughout the world, both at the bench level and at the clinical level. And so the more that societies or the advocacy groups like the Global Liver Institute can lead that charge in helping to harmonize this education and awareness delivery platform is absolutely critical and something that's been missed for a while. You could also argue that from a pharma perspective, there's been no drugs that have been close to being approved until the past two years or so. And so we've kind of missed out on that opportunity. But now I think with a clear path to approval and drugs that are marching towards that finish line, having that leg of the stool come alongside and begin to help bring that awareness is going to be critical. And then finally, we're working hard within AASLD as the NAFLD SIG chair, special interest group chair. That's one of the initiatives that we've really tried to focus on during the COVID pandemic by bringing more webinars, even more specific podcasts through AASLD relative to fatty liver and broadening out our educational content, not only to the academic folks, but to individuals industry and to others, as noted by the Emerging Topic Conference that will be virtual the 17th and 18th of this month, specifically focused on NASH. So so I think it's a combined effort, and it's not just an awareness to physicians and to different physician groups outside of hepatology, which we could identify as cardiologists and endocrinologists, but, but even some of the more peripheral groups, if you will, GYN, OBGYN providers that still are primary care providers for many women, particularly those at risk for fatty liver that are over the age of 50 and postmenopausal. And one that I really like to talk about would be podiatrists. These are people that see diabetic foot ulcers and prescribe more antifungal agents probably than anybody else for toenail fungus. And what is the one thing they have to check? Well, liver enzymes because of the potential for drug-induced liver injury. So this group of people sees an inordinate amount of fatty liver patients and they don't really know what to do with them. So it's educating multiple different providers in multiple different ways. And then the whole other piece of that is patient awareness. We need the patients to come forward. And many times I hear these patients in my clinic 
come to me and say, I don't understand, Dr. Harrison, you're telling me I have advanced liver disease. But for two decades, my doctor has told me I had fatty liver and there's really nothing to worry about, just lose weight and exercise. And so I'm having to have this conversation with them that no, in fact, in some people, the disease can progress, even if liver enzymes don't appear to be going up or, you know, or you don't feel bad. So there's a, a huge amount of effort and it begins with education and awareness. We hope you've enjoyed this recording. If you have any questions or comments about the content of this conversation or the entire episode, please send an email to questions at surfingnash.com. We will be back on Wednesday, June 16th with our second preview episode for Digital ILC 2021. We will have U.S. and European opinion leaders will be part of the Congress coverage team. They are with us at that time. We will be back on Wednesday, June 16th with our second preview episode of Digital ILC 2021. We will have U.S. and European opinion leaders who will be part of our Congress coverage team there with us. I hope you join us then. Until then, stay safe. Surf on. See you on the podcast. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye.